Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Brought to you by Sherwick Media, your health and wellness content specialist. Health Connect South is to serve the health community as a sustainable platform for regional health collaborations. Through our collective work, we seek to broadly define and advance the Southeast role in the future of health. Serving as a gateway between health industry silos, we seek to provide unique and meaningful partnership opportunities in health. We are pleased to share this information and these experts with you as part of our mission. Want to be part of the discussion? Join in, tweet questions and comments at HealthCon Radio. Hey, everybody, it's C.W. Hall, and this week on the Health Connect South Radio Show, we sat down with healthcare IT expert Mark Yanishevsky. He's the EVP of product management for a company out of Carrollton, Georgia, called Greenway Health. This company's been around since 1977, and they have expertise across a variety of facets of the physician practice from uh, back office functions like revenue cycle management. They produce an elegant EMR electronic health record. Um, with particular emphasis on being able to facilitate population health management initiatives, being able to help practices that are trying to be a part of the patient-centered medical home, um, getting them ready for ICD-10 coding changes that are going to dramatically change the way that we document what is the matter with the patient when we see them and the things that we're doing for them. We also talked about how the company is tackling the issue of interoperability. Um, There's over 600 different types of electronic health records out there available in the country today and we've got to be able to get these systems able to both accumulate data from these patients uh, whether it's their blood pressure and vital signs to um, information about chronic diseases like their diabetes for example and have those things communicate amongst each other so that we eliminate duplicate studies duplicate procedures have better continuity of care across all points of delivery for the care of our patients as they come to us. Here's Mark with a quick introduction to Greenway and why he's so excited about being a part of it. Greenway Health is a provider of software and services to physicians that run practices. So we focus on the physician practice market as opposed to the hospital side of healthcare provision. And we supply just about all of the software and healthcare IT that they would need to perform their daily duties, everything from registering and scheduling patients to billing and collecting, um, and including the doing of the electronic charting while they're seeing the patient so that the chart is completely electronic and uh, transportable and shareable. I think on a personal level, uh, it's all around uh, competitiveness of our economy and trying to make sure that we're providing quality healthcare, but at the most efficient way possible. Um, healthcare is currently taking up quite a large percentage of GDP, and I know this is a lot of macroeconomic stuff. You know, it's a big cost point for our manufacturing sector and for others when you realize that the biggest component in a car made by General Motors or right. any other domestic manufacturer here in the States is the healthcare costs that are paid to the workers that are putting the car together. You realize that if we can continue to grow the cost of healthcare faster than the economy grows, we're going to, you know, be less and less competitive on the international global market. And so for me, and having kids, and I'm probably due for some grandkids in the next five or 10 (laughs) years, uh, you know, making sure that we stay as the most competitive and attractive place to live and best quality of life is really important. And I think helping to transform healthcare so we're focused on quality and efficiency uh, is really part of that challenge that gets me up and gets me jazzed every morning. Stick around, we got the full interview with Mark coming up next. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us here on the Health Connect South Radio Show again today. I'm joined in studio, as always, with my co-host, Diana Keo, CEO and founder of Sherwick Media Group. Pleasure to be here. 
I'm glad to have you here, and uh, I want to say thanks again to uh, the Sherwick Media Group for partnering with us to make this show possible so that we can introduce the community to uh, a host of healthcare experts across the spectrum uh, that are providing healthcare or at least helping it uh, delivery to our community from you name the direction. I mean, some that you wouldn't even think about. Um, a topic that has come across uh, for us a number of times here as we've kind of gotten into the show and met some of these professionals is, of course, technology being a big key component to these days to um, integrating it into how we deliver healthcare and monitor our outcomes for patients. And um, another facet of that um, would be how do we make all these different systems that people are using, whether it's tracking how they pay for, um, get paid for the service they're delivering to um, what do they do with the data, the health, mm -hmm. health information data for these patients and making them communicate so that we can maybe uh, eliminate some duplication of care, um, whether it's labs or different procedures that we may possibly be able to avoid doing if we could only communicate between systems. Um, that brings us to our guest today. Um, Greenway Health is a company that I've been familiar with for a little while. I was really pleased to be able to get them to join us on the show today. Uh, and it sounds like it's timely, both from, from recent conversations we've had here on the show about things like population health management uh, and so forth. I know that they've had some recent announcements kind of facing that front. So uh, Mark Yanishevsky of uh, Greenway Health, he's the executive vice president of project uh, product management, um, actually happened to be in town from Florida. You've got a location there in Tampa and another one in Birmingham and, of course, the main office here in Carrollton. So we were lucky to catch you uh, available and have you join us. So thanks for taking some time. My pleasure. Great to be here. And uh, so kind of take me back through a little bit of your background and then um, introduce us a little bit to the company Greenway Health. I know that uh, they've been around since 1977 and, and kind of come together and grown pretty significantly over time. So kind of take us through your background and then we'll kind of get into uh, the meat of the matter. Sure thing. Um, so I was uh, originally out of school, um, an accountant and a finance major by trade, and spent a little time in that field. Moved into manufacturing and, and high tech uh, in the telecom world, um, and spent about 13 years there. And then, of course, uh, late 90s and early 2000s, the, the dot-com boom went bust. Telecom kind of went bust with it. And I was looking for you know, a new place to start my career, and and I uh, was fortunate that I was living here in Georgia, up in the Alpharetta area, uh, and the largest healthcare information technology um, vendor and provider in the country, uh, McKesson, McKesson is headquartered yeah. up there, uh, and was fortunate enough to find a little window of time where they were looking for people that had good marketing and and product experience, and not necessarily a lot of healthcare knowledge. So. Um, went through that window and successfully transitioned into that operation. Spent about ten years there. Uh, and then about three years ago, I got a call from a company that was looking for someone to head up their product management team that was in the ambulatory space. I'd spent a lot of time at McKesson focused on selling systems to hospitals. And I thought that would be an interesting growth area and career change and also took a look at where the market was heading and more and more of the care and the effort we're making to try and transform healthcare is really about that individual physician-patient relationship mm -hmm. uh, and thought it would be interesting to try and help um, affect that change and and take advantage of the, the change going on. So moved to a company called Viterra Healthcare. It was called at the time back in 2012. Uh, and we saw that healthcare was changing. There was a lot of consolidation going on both amongst the providers, a lot of acquisitions mm -hmm. of providers by hospitals and such. Uh, and that in order to serve that growing and, and increasingly larger 
size of customer, we needed to be larger as well. Um, there's around 630 certified EHRs that physicians can use to attest for meaningful use and, and other value-based reimbursement programs. And we realized there was going to be consolidation of that market, and we want to be ahead of the consolidation. So um, company in Birmingham, Alabama, um, was in a process for um, change in ownership. So we took a look at them and, and acquired them. They were named Success EHS. Uh, and then a little bit later started discussions with Greenway Medical, which, as you mentioned, uh, was founded in Carrollton, Georgia back in 1977 and had a really good reputation for innovation, for leading-edge technology, and for a focus on customer service. And thought that would put that together with success and with Viterra would make a great, strong, um, top five, six, you know, vendor in the, in the market that could really have the wherewithal and the financial resources and the intellectual property and, and in human resources to uh, help our customers thrive and, and transition during all the change that's going on in the way we pay for healthcare and the way we're trying to deliver healthcare. Yeah, and, and as I mentioned um, in our introduction, population health management has been something that has begun to uh, be a topic that a lot more people are talking about. We, we hosted some folks from uh, DeKalb Medical not long ago, and that was a big topic uh, for that conversation. They're starting, they started internally and working on their own in internal population, trying to improve their own risk and, and uh, exposure to health costs that you talked about. And then they began to expand that into the community to help those, those businesses out there. And it was probably around that time when I became more familiar with Greenway and noticed that that was a place where you put some focus as, a, as an enterprise. Uh, I, I know that you had some recent announcements kind of around that particular element of your enterprise. You want to talk a little bit about where it's going for, for Greenway and how you interface with that population health management uh, effort that we're putting out there now. Sure. Um, well, as I spoke about, increasingly, um, we're trying to affect change in healthcare. We're trying to move from what is very much a volume-based healthcare payment system and healthcare where the more patients you see, the more revenue you get. Um, and it's really, you get paid for seeing a patient, not necessarily for what happens or the outcome of the care that's provided to that patient. Uh, and so there's different models that are being, um, frankly, demonstrated, explored, experimented with <laughs> around trying to incent the provider to deliver quality care. Some of it has to do with documenting and recording what kind of care they give and seeing if they're doing it you know, as often as they should be. So every time you see a, someone who's a smoker, do you give them counseling on how to stop smoking? And we measure what percentage of patients seen that are smokers were given counseling. Uh, some of it has to do with risk sharing and really trying to look at the overall cost of taking care of a population. And that's uh, a lot embodied in what we call accountable care organizations, and they have some other names where if you're able to bend the cost curve and bring down the cost of taking care of a broader population of patients, it could be 6, 12, 20,000 patients, uh, at the end of the year, you may save in some of the savings. The, the insurance provider, whether it's Medicare or a private insurer, will say, hey, we saved 3%, so here's your 1.5, and, and I'll keep 1.5, and, and we brought down you know, the cost of care in the country. Uh, and to do that, you need ability to really take a look at what you're doing across that larger panel of, of patients, as it's called, uh, and to identify the patients that are going to be at most at risk for driving up the cost, because typically 20% of the patients can account for 80% of the cost. So yeah. who are those high-risk patients that are at risk of an acute event, which if you have to go to the ER or become hospitalized, drives up costs tremendously compared to you know, a regular office visit and some lab tests mm -hmm. as a comparison? Uh, and then how do we proactively manage those patients and, and insert new roles, like people that are called care coordinators that actively 
monitor those high-risk patients and make sure that they're taking their meds and they're doing their exercise and they're eating properly. Uh, and they're coming in for their exams and they're coming in for their tests so that we're monitoring and making sure we catch anything before it gets out of hand and, and causes one of those acute events that requires a hospitalization. So when you talk about that kind of a care manager person, is that somebody that's on your side of things or is that typically what we're seeing when, in the clients that you're interfacing with, uh, the office, the practices or the hospital system, whatever the case may be, that they're adding that kind of a role to be a layer of um, higher acuity, if you will, for that group right. of people that you talked about that really kind of drive the, the bulk of the cost because they tend to be higher acuity, so we're going to focus on them. Or Is that where their, their landing is on that delivery side, or is that a component of what you're doing? You know, today it's on the delivery side because the organizations that have undertaken these sort of arrangements or, or frankly, contracts um, tended to have been larger and had the wherewithal to put in place their own care coordination group. Now, it can be anything from the doctor's medical assistant or nurse mm -hmm. doing care coordination for a few hours a day or a week. Um, it can be entire departments that get formed within a large provider organization, and many of the integrated delivery networks, you know, um, that are around have created those types kind of, of a centralized function right. that's handling um, across the enterprise. Right. Typically, they have some medical background and, and clinical background, so they are understanding of the symptoms and the, the complaints that they may get from the patients when they're interacting with them. Uh, a big part of things is how do you automate that interaction with the patient so that you're trying to do as much right. as you can in an automated way and really freeing up the care coordinator to interact and coach the patient or the patients that need that the most. So we're seeing that today it's the provider organizations, but we, we fully anticipate as this takes on a greater and greater role. Um, you know, As an example, HHS has announced that today maybe 15% of the payments they give to providers are uh, based on value-based reimbursement or um, alternative payment method methods, as they're called, the, the balance, the 85% being fee-for-service, that they're going to want to flip that mix to be 60% value-based reimbursement and then 40% fee-for-service by 2018. It's not very far <laughs> That's away. That's pretty aggressive, yeah. And, you know, for those who have been in healthcare for a while, healthcare has always maybe been a laggard in adopting sure. technology mm -hmm. and a slow-to-change industry. Um, we always want to be cautious about making sure we don't disrupt the care for the patients. Uh, but that's a pretty aggressive rate of change. And um, we talk to the private payers, you know, the big three and others, um, and Medicaid offices across the country, and they all have similar plans or goals to really try to rapidly change the, the payment model, which will rapidly change the focus of care to being more about quality and less about quantity. I'm certainly so, interested in how they're going to implement yeah, that so side how of do, how do you How does that affect you, and how do you implement that yeah. change? For us, what it means is uh, we need to provide additional tools to our providers so they can not only survive this change, but yeah. thrive in this change. Right. And so to, I guess, circle back to the recent announcements, uh, we recently introduced uh, our own internally developed patient portal uh, as a platform for engaging with patients. We call it Greenway Patient. Uh, and we're really building it not only to be the portal for a practice that their patients can access um, their online medical record, as well as do things like schedule appointments or pay their bills, but also something that can evolve to be a community portal where uh, a large organization like an accountable care organization could leverage this portal across multiple different EHRs, and it'd be that single focus point for interacting with the patient. So would you be sharing health information, or not health information, but health educational information across that sort of a platform in addition to letting them come in and set an appointment with their physician, see what their vital signs and things like that are so they can maybe do some modification themselves. But you would also maybe perhaps, you talked about uh, smoking cessation, for example. Do you think that there would be 
educational offering coming through that portal, kind of dripping on the patient as well? Absolutely. Um, it's a key component of our, um, our approach going forward. All of the educational material, the background, what you should be doing, even the daily reminders and checklists that they should be going through to make sure they're taking care of themselves um, are all going to be present. Even things like you know coupons and other things for getting discounts off their meds so we can make sure they adhere to their medication plan um, are available as well. So that's on the, the patient side. And if you can call it how we are adjusting, we're trying to get closer to the patient. Ultimately, that will be um, things like smartphone apps and, and home monitoring devices that are connected back in sure. through the portal and back into the electronic health record so that the physician can see what's going on with the patient in between their visits. Um, and that's increasingly going to be a focus, I think, for healthcare to, if you're really going to want to change outcomes and drive down the cost. The other direction we're heading is uh, also a recent announcement. It's a solution uh, we, we call Greenway Community, and that's about helping organizations manage the population of their patients. Um, so you kind of go from one spectrum at the individual patient level, communication level, to the other, which is who are all our patients we're charged with taking care of and that we're maybe at risk or sharing in um, the care and the benefit of taking care of. Who are the high acuity, high risk patients based on clinical and financial information that we can gather from the electronic health records and from the claims that are filed? Uh, and then what are the protocols we should be following based on the diagnoses and the chronic disease states that these patients have um, that we should be taking action on? So one of the most often used examples is, is the population of diabetics in this country. And diabetics are at high risk for glaucoma. They're at high risk for phlebitis. Uh, and then they also can have hypertension and other um, effects from the disease if not managed. So are you bringing them in for their quarterly blood test to test their, their blood sugar count? Now, are you getting them an annual eye exam to make sure they're not developing glaucoma, which can be prevented and, and maybe uh, completely prevented or, or held off for a longer period of time? Are they coming in for an annual foot exam to see if they're at risk of developing phlebitis? Because it's much easier to detect it early and prevent it from happening sure. than it is to have the patient show up and now you've got to, you know, in a drastic sense, amputate a leg or they go blind and, and then there's ongoing increased costs from yep. that point onward um, that occurs and certainly not as good an outcome mm -hmm. for the patient as if you were more preventative and if they were adhering to um, all of these protocols that, that we think would help them in the long run. Mark Yanishevsky of Greenway Health is here sharing some information about how the organization is tackling the issue of population health management um, and um, interoperability. How We talked a little bit before we went on the air this morning about that fact, about how all these disparate, you talked about 600 and some odd uh, EHRs that are floating around out there in the healthcare community. We got to make them talk together. Obviously, that's one of the requirements of the of the new law. As it relates to what you're talking about here, with some of these new solutions that you're coming out with from the population health management side of things, analytics being one of the key components of that. You mentioned the fact that uh, being able to take the the health data of these patients and drawing a picture and, and maybe saying, oh, this set of patients needs to have a little greater focus. Where does that analytics uh, happen? Is that, are you basically empowering someone on the, on the client provider side of things to be able to extrapolate from the data that you're now kind of curating uh, through your platform? Or do you have experts on your side of things that are kind of looking at some of the data that's flowing through the system of your clients uh, through your platform and saying, hey, these are some things we're seeing. How does that piece come together? Sure, it's really a combination of both of those things, as well as external experts that have created you know, what they believe are the top care protocols for taking care of different chronic disease states. Um, so for example, our solution 
combines uh, a large enterprise data warehouse where all of the clinical and financial data um, is is uh, gathered, put together, combined, also you know deduplicated uh, and normalized so that information from different systems is saying the same thing consistently uh, in the same lexicon or dictionary. Uh, we then have protocols we've um, brought in from places like John Hopkins and others where you know, what should be, if for a given diagnosis, the procedures that have been performed, the tests that have been done, the exams that have been that have happened, given the the diagnosis or chronic disease that this patient has, and where are there gaps in care, uh, and and then identify the gaps in care on a per provider and a per patient level, so we can get those the gaps in care back down to the practice where they can take action on them, and that's really where the care coordinators come in, is working with the practice and scheduling the patients and making sure they've had the exams they need. And also integrating those gaps in care back into the electronic health record. So if that patient shows up, maybe they have a sore throat and they're not sure if it's strep, um, you know that they have gaps in care and you can actually take care of them while they're there rather than having to go back home and then trying to chase them, if you will, and get them to come back in. And all of this is great in theory, but again, I'm going to keep saying, how do you do that? I mean, healthcare by and large has got to be a, a personal I mean, we can talk about the platforms, we can talk about automating everything, but by and large, it's got to be personal. So how is that? How are you actually looking and going to be doing that? Well, ultimately, uh, every patient that really is going to be part of population health management or, or receive more managed care needs to have a primary physician that is charged with their care. Now, that physician may, as we've talked about, have a group of care coordinators that are on their behalf helping to watch over the patients when they're not in the office. You know, we, we say that um, going forward, it's going to be less about the 40 patients you have on your schedule to see that day and more about the 9,000 patients you have in your panel of patients that you're really look, trying to look out for proactively. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your primary care physician or your patients that are medical home, which is another program out there that providers can, can apply for, certify for, and then earn additional monthly fees for managing another panel of patients as their patients at a medical home, are required and, and obligated, if you will, to look out for those patients and make sure they're getting the care they need. And the patient knows who's that one person who they really can work with for their overall coordinating their care. And maybe that that primary care physician or internist is referring them to you know other specialties, maybe a cardiologist or someone um, for some specialty work, but they're also then receiving back what's occurring there and looking at the overall picture of the care that's been given and then making sure there are no care gaps that might remain. When you talk about uh, gaps in healthcare delivery, can you give an example or two of where you tend to see those occur? What what are we talking about when we when we mention that that there may be some gaps in the healthcare delivery? Sure. Uh, well, I'll go back to that diabetic ex- example. There's nine exams procedures that a diabetic should have every year. They should have a quarterly, so four times a year, HbA1c blood test. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should have an annual eye exam, an annual foot exam and then come in every six months just for a general physical um, to monitor other things. And so if they're not getting all nine of those exams and tests, then maybe something cute can start to fester that wouldn't otherwise be caught. Um, You know, things like COPD or um, hypertension all require medication therapies as well as annual exams, things like blood pressure readings, um, so that you can manage the, the chronic disease and make it literally what it means to be chronic, which is you have it, but it's never really an impediment. Um, personally, I've got high cholesterol, so I have to go twice a year and make sure that we're managing that, and there's diet to be followed. That's where the information on a, our patient portal can come in handy, and then there's you know, how the medications, if there are any that you're on, working, and are they, they achieving 
their necessary goal. Mm-hmm. And my experience, of course, I, I mentioned the fact that for me personally, it's been a long time since I've been clinical. So when I was working with EMRs back in those days, they they weren't very elegant and they weren't very proactive, if you will. It was just I was charting in a computer instead of charting in a chart. Um, Nowadays, with these types of requirements that we have, obviously not just because the government's telling us to do so, but because uh, if we get more proactive in these types of ways that you mentioned here, then clearly we have much more control over the disease states like diabetes, heart disease, these other diseases that can end up being very, very expensive. So are the systems now that we're talking about, uh, for example, the Greenway Health platforms that, that you're offering to your clients, are they beginning to do more like my smartphone does, sending me alerts, hey, um, here's a piece of information that needs some sort of analysis by you, the mm-hmm. clinician. I mean, are they becoming more proactive in that way in terms of pushing some of that type of information to me so that I will take action? Or do I have to go in, okay, I'm going to go do my analysis now, so I'm going to go into the portal and begin to analyze. Where, where is that now? There, it's, it's really a combination of both. Okay. Um, Certainly, the the broad spectrum of providers out there have different desires as to the the proactiveness. You know, some would see proactive as intrusive. Sure, um, but yes, my EMR telling me what to do. Right, they're they're much more <laughs> uh, they're much more built around clinical decision support and health management and health alerts. So, you know, here's all of your male patients that are turning fifty this year. You should be scheduling them all for a colonoscopy. Here's all of your female patients that are turning 40 this year. You should be scheduling them all for a mastectomy, or not a mastectomy, uh, yeah. a mammogram. Yeah, that would be a mistake on that EMR. Yes, that'll be a little quick. <laughs> yeah. uh, for a mammogram, right? All, both preventative measures to make sure you catch things early rather than, than late. Um, so yes, they are much more proactive. And then as we were talking about earlier, um, down to specific protocols for specific chronic diseases, you get care gap messages of all your patients who are not completely caught up. Uh, and CW have, hasn't had his annual foot check. We need to get him scheduled for that. Right. Exactly. And this occurs both at an aggregate level, at a care quarter level, and it also occurs down at the scheduler, registration, and provider as you're seeing the patient level. And that's where it's really important that it does occur at, at both the aggregate level and at the patient provider level. And then when they have that um, gap of care actually pointed out to them, is it going to be done automatically where it's there's a message generated from that doctor to the patient or is it still going to be necessitate a nurse or a receptionist actually calling the patient which is just a real burden on the physician's office yeah you know quite frankly today it's defaulting to the nurse making the phone call or the care coordinator making the phone call and saying hey you need to come in um, where we see things going as this gets more and more pervasive and we go from 15 percent to 60 percent um, is that you're going to need to want to leverage technology as much as you can. So another solution part of our consumer platform that we have is Greenway Link, and there's many like it, um, allow for automated texting, emailing, and you know, um, automated dialing and phone messages to remind patients to call and make an appointment or remind patients that their appointment is tomorrow, remind patients to take their medications. Perhaps if you're seeing a patient every quarter, you want in between that a couple of times every once a month, please take your blood pressure and send us the results. Um, and so we look, view that integration of the, the patient messaging with the patient information platform uh, with the health population management solution and then the EHR is all one kind of 
ecosystem, if you will, that needs to come together if we're going to be really effective at driving better outcomes. Mm -hmm. And a few years ago, um, in the physician's office, when we're taking care of a patient, you come in, um, whatever, you have a, have a wound in our practice, for example. Um, we code that. Um, and that tells the insurance company um, this is the, the wound is on the, the plantar surface of the foot on the right side, that kind of stuff. And here recently, a few years ago, it went from ICD-9 uh, to transitioning over to ICD-10. Of course, it caused a bit of a uproar in its early days because it became uh, much, much more granular in its in its documentation, if you will. 14,000 codes went to something like 68,000 codes um, where we can get very, very, very specific now, more so than we could before with, with where a problem is and exactly um, what we're doing about it and so forth. Um, how is that affecting things nowadays as it relates to, you know, those providers that you're, that you're interfacing with? I know that's a place where you put some focus. Well, that's one of the reasons why ICD-10 is seen as a, a great benefit to um, to healthcare is because the ability to be more specific and have greater granularity will allow us to target where there are gaps in care, target even in discovering new protocols that are effective because we can see um, a much greater level of detail in the diagnoses and then figure out what are the procedures are being performed and then what are the outcomes and then transfer that back to a care protocol that needs to be followed in advances, if you will, and what's most effective. Um, that transition is still in front of us, by the way. October yeah. 1st of 2015 is that the transition date. Back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there seems to be an annual um, legislative <laughs> uh, last-minute Hail Mary, if you will. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> last year, that Hail Mary occurred in the April timeframe of 2014, and so the what was October 2014 date was pushed out to what is now October 2015. We've now clearly, we're past April and May into June. Uh, several initiatives have been started in the House at sort of committee and subcommittee levels. Uh, we have a government relations team that keep close tabs on what's happening down at that, um, you know, grassroots early legislative legal, uh, level. And um, most of those have been killed immediately. So it doesn't look like there's going to be a Hail Mary this time, although never say never. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but that transition will be a big one for healthcare, And uh, it's coming up on October 1st. Unfortunately, it's a little bit like the story of, um, you know, Boy Who Crawled Wolf in that it's been delayed three times now. And so we've got some um, providers out there not taking not really the deadline seriously yeah. because they're thinking, well, it, it's been delayed before. It'll be delayed again. Um, the AMA, just as a factual statement, you know, has come out again saying we should defer it or delay it. It's going to be a big change and impose a lot of um, transition and change management and, and training on our um, our AMA members, um, but I don't know that it's going to happen this time. So our, you know, advice and guidance is you have to plan for it happening, uh, which means making sure your technology supports the uh, the greater level of codes. Now it's as simple as they're simple and it's complicated. It's as simple as it used to be ICD nine is five characters and they're all numeric. ICD ten is seven characters and they can be alphanumeric. So you got to make sure that your systems can accommodate the expanded field. Um, the more complicated part is now when you're seeing a patient, you're going to have to document to a much greater level yeah. of the big word in ICD-10 world is specificity. Right. right? Um, as you were saying, used to be ankle sprain was a, a diagnosis. Now it's what an which ankle, left or right, so that's laterality. And it's also 
um, severity. So is it a moderate, medium, or severe sprain? And then specifically, where is it? Yeah, higher, which side? Lower? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, all that level of granularity require will have you know what was one ankle sprain code could be now 12 or 15, and you have to be able to choose the right one. And you have to have documentation to support it or your claim that you file with the insurance company may not get paid, or they may ask you for that documentation. If you don't have it, it delays your getting paid. So a lot of forecasts, if you will, from, I don't know what you want to call them, pundits, um, that uh, you know there's going to be a higher rate of denials, a higher rate of people asking, or payers asking for documentation, a slowdown in getting paid, and that there's going to be a transition over the you know months of October, November, yeah. and into December of people adjusting to these changes. And of course, it's a, you know, in, in most if you want to call it software transitions, if you have an older system replaced by a new yeah. system, you might run them in parallel for a while. We're doing a flash cut. So September 30th, everything's ICD-9. October 1st, everything's ICD-10. You have to have all your people trained and, and prepared for that to happen. And everyone in the healthcare system from the provider doing the documentation to the systems they're using to the <laughs> clearinghouses that are filing the claims and, the, yeah. and the, the remits coming back to the payers all have to you know, flip the switch at midnight on September 30th. And Mark will be on vacation when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh, how do you tackle that? Um, from your side of things, you're the solution provider. One mm -hmm. of the things that you do is uh, electronic health records. So I would assume trying to make it elegant so that the, the clicking process, if you will, the drop-downs or however the portal interface works, uh, is simple. Um, how, how, how do you go about with the technology side of things as well as you, you talked about, it must be a m mildly Herculean task to get all those people trained up. So how do we go about that? Yeah, well, everything from um, at the system level, you know, making sure that, one, our databases can accommodate the larger character space, et cetera, to making sure the transactions that in include the ICD-10 codes can flow to the payer and get adjudicated and paid and come back. Um, in a lot of places, you could especially if you're in a specialty, you could, to most extent, memorize the high-volume diagnosis codes that you were using. Um, now, probably not going to be able to memorize. So we've done a lot of things in our systems to build in you know, more advanced search capabilities so that you can find different ways of at least getting down to the, what are the six or seven Maybe codes Maybe pre-populates with some choices that, that absolutely be intuitive. Right. Um, so we've embedded, um, I will call it more, just to, not to give them a plug, but Google-like search. You know, as you're looking for things, you see the options start to shrink as you right. you type in more. Um, better translation of what was a diagnosis code in ICD-9. Here's the, the corresponding multiple list of ICD-10 so you can figure out which one to use. Um, so that's what we do at the technology level. Now getting all our customers to upgrade to the latest version, um, you know, in software and all software industries. Uh, you do new releases with new capability, and you want your customers to upgrade. So helping them through that transition and and emphasizing that they should be prepared and on a ICD-10 capable um, software release is a, a big focus of ours. And then there's training and guidance on checklists and testing. And so, you know, our providers we have many in the ambulatory world that rely on us not just for providing technology, but also helping guide them through these kind of changes. And so, um, we are proactively reaching out with. Um, you know, webinars and training so they can understand what they need to do from a training and knowledge point of view, especially their clinicians. Clinicians are probably the, the most busy and the hardest to reach sometimes when it comes to change and, and new education. Um, and how, when, when they should plan to do that, you can do it too late and you can do it too early. 
Um, so, and then how to practice, and then also how to do their own internal testing and process evaluation so that they're ready for all the changes as well. So from, from making sure our technology is ready and available to um, helping our customers understand sort of the, the everywhere that ICD-10 changes will permeate all the people that are impacted and how they're impacted and what they should do in terms of a training program and offering that training. Um, we try to make sure we're taking care of all of it. I would imagine this year is probably one where we'll a lot of have a lot of providers moving from legacy systems over to the modern cloud-based platforms. Just based on this, I can only imagine how challenging it will be for a legacy-type system to try to integrate ICD-10 and make all these changes. It is, and you know, the other thing we try and encourage everyone in the industry is plan early because. Uh, um, there are laggards in every sector of, I guess, humanity, and if you're one of those trying to make a change, change systems, upgrade, do your training in the very few, last few weeks of September, you're probably going to be in the middle of a crush of other people doing the same thing, and it's just simply not physically going to be possible for us to, to help everyone if everyone waits until the end. So we are trying to move that mindset up as early as possible, and it, arguably it's already you know, well beyond time to have started planning and started evaluating. And I'm sure that there's people in this room that haven't upgraded their iPhones to the latest <laughs> system. So, I mean, imagine what the clinicians are doing. But how many people are we talking about as far as customers that you actually have to deal with in this change? Um, with the coming together of the three companies we talked about, we now have about 10,000 practices and close to 70,000 providers that are using our systems. And right now, I think we would say about 70% are upgraded and on on a ICD-10 ready release in this case, and then there's another 30 percent, and I guess we call them the late adopters mm -hmm. uh, for those that went to marketing, and we're working with them. <laughs> That's the nice marketing yeah. term, right? Well, beyond that, there's something called a, I guess, a laggard, um, <laughs> and we're working with them very closely, almost you know hand to hand, person to person, trying to encourage them to have plans in place and make the transition. Now, there's a few that don't need to because you know, maybe a, a medical specialty that's more on a cash basis or, or consumer pay, and then they're not really required to right. have to change because they're not filing claims with an insurance company. But that's, for our customer base, that's maybe 3 5%. Mm -hmm. One of the um, criticisms I've heard about this this change and the, um, the coding is that even still, even with going to the granular nitty-gritty, it still doesn't account for, in all of the things that you have to check off, um, patient has no transportation or patient is living alone or none of that is actually accounted for. Does, I mean, are you guys looking at that and actually trying to adapt for that as well? Yeah, we talked about that just before we went on the air. Um, yeah, I mean, ICD-10 stands for the Inter International Classification of Diseases, so it is very medically focused. And when you talk about the whole health of the patient and circling back to the concept of, of better outcomes and population health management, you have to treat the patient holistically if you're going to have success. And so for some patients, they're very eager and, and willing to adapt their lifestyle and adapt their diet and their exercise regimen for best health outcome. But there are some that um, you know, aren't as eager, and you have to understand how to work with them and get those better outcomes. Um, a big component, we think, coming up with population health is going to be the behavioral health aspect of things. Um, if you're someone who's depressed or has other mental health issues, it's going to be really hard to get you to remember to take, you know, whatever, your medicine every morning um, or to come in for your exam or even to make an exam. If you are uh, indigent and have issues like you mentioned around no personal transportation and there's no accessible health care that's near to where you live, 
it's less likely that you're going to come in to see a patient. Some of the, the big enterprise data analytics um, that are out there have started looking at what's the propensity of someone to keep an appointment based on how far away from their their you know provider's location they are. And um, there's a very strong correlation. The further away you are, the sure. more likely you are not to show. So how do we make healthcare more accessible um, with things like retail healthcare into the the retail sector so that some of the simple things that can be done are more accessible and easy to get to, and therefore people take a, um, advantage of that availability um, for better care. Yeah, there's an article in the New York Times this morning, I don't know if you saw it, it was on the science section, front page, lower left, that was actually talking about the whole denial of parents when they have obese kids. And the, the opening lead was all about, it was actually a mother, a nurse, a nurse mother that was upset to hear that her child was upset or um, obese because she could no longer buy Chips Ahoy cookies. Um, and But it had been creeping up and creeping up, and she still could not accept the fact that he was obese. So, um, you know, again, going back to this personal, you know, population management is great in theory, especially if we try to automate it. But how do we, you know, treat the holistic and treat those behavioral? And, you know, how do we, is there a solution to automate that part of healthcare as well? Because that is a lot of the comorbidities are actually caused by something else mm -hmm. entirely different. It would seem to me that I think one of the things that's going to have to emerge is kind of a like half clinician, half analyst to, to a certain extent to see those trends that are emerging uh, from the data that we're collecting. Obviously, we're, uh, we're getting closer to being able to see a big picture of the data for a given patient or even a patient set, as you talked about. And, and so we're probably going to have to have somebody that's kind of watching that, that does kind of what we talked about earlier, where we're creating those case managers. I would imagine the case management space is probably going to be somewhat on the rise going forward to tackle that because you have to be able to see that trend line and be able to kind of cut it off before, oh my gosh, you've, you're now 185 and you're in sixth grade, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, well, and I, uh, NPR this morning on the way here actually had an article on the fact that Target is now having um, pharmacies that they had an outside company come in and they're not turning a profit yet. So again, it's a lot of it is because of the time that's spent on the patients that are coming to a, a discount store for their their generics and their medications need the counseling that goes along with the generics that they're taking and they don't have time to, to actually then practice. So, I mean, again, back to the original question, how, how is that handled? How is that gonna be handled? Well, I'll be, to be honest, right now, I think we're just barely scratching the surface of how do we improve outcomes and change patient behavior. Um, arguably, the successes that have been had to date have been doing the things we've described around trying to cl close care gaps to the extent that patients are cooperating right. with making that happen. As we want to move further and further into impacting more and more patients, we're going to have to do things to and, and study how we can impact and get to greater percentages of patients, the ones that are harder to reach or harder to um, change their behavior uh, and get deeper into, I think, the behavioral aspects. We spoke before we went on the air about the fact that in your analytic systems, identifying patients at risk and patients that can be impacted, uh, data around socioeconomic background, around geography and location, and what are the macro trends in that location, um, are all being also added into the mix so that they can be factored into you know the approach that's taken on a per patient basis and make it more tailored to that patient. Ultimately, we're going to need some skilled people that, as you mentioned, are are you know part clinician but also part behavior therapist or or a clinical therapist that um, to reach those patients are really going to have to understand the mental aspects as much as they do the medical. 
EVP of Product Product Management, Mark Yanishevsky of Greenway Health, has been here with us this morning. We've been talking about some of their technology solutions that are facilitating improved patient health management in our population uh, and in a given practice on a per-patient basis. Uh, one of the things that we've been talking about here uh, is that patient outcomes piece, and, and, and obviously the the outcome side of things is going to have, as you mentioned, a significant impact on how we get reimbursed and, and what is our general approach to a given patient. Talk about that a little bit. How, does, how, how, how are we going to tackle that side of things on that, uh, you know, the outcomes side of things as it relates to our reimbursement and, and how we're delivering care? Right. Well, and as I mentioned, these are, um, you know, demonstration programs and, and if in some extent sort of trial and error programs that are going on right now. But a couple of examples, um, I mentioned the patients at a medical home. Uh, as a provider, you certify with uh, an organization called the NCQA to become a, a certified patient-centered medical home. That means you do things like you make yourself accessible 24-7 to patients, that you have someone on staff who can do counseling, um, that you uh, measure and monitor quality of care delivered along a number of different quality reporting guidelines. And in exchange for that, um, the insurance companies will pay you a, a stipend of anywhere between 4 to $12 per patient per month for that panel of patients you've said you're going to manage. Now, you may decide to say, I'm going to manage all of the diabetics and patients suffering from congenital heart failure and, and hypertension within my practice. And that may be a subset of your total patient population. And then you'll get that stipend for doing that. But to do, in exchange for that, you have to continue to certify that you have the accessibility and the care and the counseling mm -hmm. available. And you also have to report on a, a quarterly basis, an annual basis, how you are doing with all the protocols required to treat that panel of patients. Yeah, I, I can only imagine from an administrative perspective, how do you execute that from a physician's practice office? And we're talking about the pay for, pay for performance side of things. Right. And, and what you're saying is that, at least today, you're able as a provider to say, these are the, these are the elements of my practice, the, the disease states or the problem areas that mm -hmm. I'm going to focus on on a pay for, pay for performance basis. And I assume that the stipend then is somewhat intended to help offset would, would probably be some measure of human component that you have to add to be able to handle that because the reporting side of things, the tracking side of things, it just sounds like it's, it's adding a layer of, of uh, work that somebody's got to do that just my MA it's and my doctor, yeah. um, you know, may not be able to handle. So is that what the stipend is intended to do? Or it's not just say you can make a little more money if you do this, because, I mean, obviously there's going to be a whole lot more work that goes along with no, that. No, so it absolutely is meant to um, incent the providers to take on additional responsibility. In exchange for that, the, the promise, right, or the premise, or both, is, uh, <laughs> is that by taking care of these patients, we will drive down costs and the actual amount of monies that the insurance provider have to reimburse for acute events, et cetera, will be lower. And then it, so net net, the insurance providers are saving how much they have to you know, um, disperse. Employers are saving or the patients are saving how much comes out of their pocket. Uh, and then the, the provider is compensated for more proactive healthcare management uh, in exchange for that. Um, second piece to that, uh, is that, yes, there is an additional cost and there is an additional layer. This is where a care coordinator will come in and co coordinating care for that panel of patients. This is where being open 24-7 means someone's got to be available to answer 
you know, phone call that comes in middle of the night, which means they probably right. have to get paid for that, right? Yep. Um, and that's also why we see and came together to be a larger organization as Greenway Health is because, quite frankly, you're going to need to be um, probably a larger organization if you're going to have the wherewithal to do this. So we don't see as many or very many really two or three physician practices that are becoming patient-centered medical homes. We see numbers of them coming together in various different forms, right? They can just literally merge. Um, they can come together as an in independent physician association, and there's a number of different models in between where they're coordinating and they're collaborating where maybe that central care coordination arm is shared and a shared cost, and then they're operating as independent practices within that. Um, you earlier mentioned about who's doing the care coordinating, and I said it was today as to providers. We do see that um, there's a, an emerging, if you will, set of businesses that will do care coordination on your behalf as a service. And we also see that as something mm -hmm. in our future as this starts to take hold and um, becomes a little more standardized or predictable or, or known as to what's the best way to do things, that that would be a service we would offer to our customers today. Just like today, we will do their building and collecting for them. Sure. And I, I would imagine that that's probably, like you say, I, I expect that to be an emerging niche within the healthcare delivery model just because from an economies of scale perspective, being able to outsource that person for the time you'd have to pay them to be on your staff all the time to handle that, it, it would seem that that's got to be a, a coming growth market that's, that's mm -hmm. in the mail for us. Yeah. Everything we can see today, and it's, as I said, it is evolving, is if you're going to get involved in these sort of programs where you're, you know, earning some monthly stipends, but then you have more to do, um, typically right now we see the ratio of providers to a care coordinator being about five to one. So if you think about an office that wants to have at least a couple of care coordinators because you've got vacation and, you know, sick day, backfill, et cetera, that needs to be managed, you're looking at, you know, can anybody less than a 10 provider practice really afford to get into this this part of the business or consider becoming whatever patient center medical home or some of these programs and so if you do want to are smaller that's where you could see a service where you're sort of you know hiring someone to do it on your behalf but sure. it's really only occupying less than a you know full person right um, maybe being something that could be looked at as uh, as advantageous or viable do we see some examples in the marketplace yet uh, of this kind of pay for performance model where we're doing what we're trying to do the premise you talked about that that will bend the the cost curve that we're seeing costs go down when we actually take this approach are there some examples yet emerging that that show that that trend line is actually coming to fruition or or is it still too early in that model we are we are seeing some um, we have a customer that is a uh, kind of a manager management company for a number of community health centers across the country. Um, and all their centers that they manage in Florida have taken on some managed care contracts and have become an accountable care organization. And last year, the total um, health expense of the patients they were managing declined by about um, several million dollars. And as part of the program they're in, they, were, they retained half of those savings. And then uh, Medicare, which was running the ACO program, retained the other half. So. That's an example of more preventive medicine, more uh, proactive care for a population of patients being exerted over a full course of a year and showing some impact on you know, lowering the cost year over year, whereas we know um, healthcare costs overall nationally have been rising somewhere between 4 and 8% for, seems like, forever. You've been doing this for, you know, in healthcare in one way or the other for a really long time, what, over 20 years, 25 years? Mm -hmm. um, where, in your opinion, where do you think we got 
kind of went astray as healthcare was changing and developing and and uh, shifting. Where do you think we got so far astray? At that's what point? A, that's a pretty big question. Um, <laughs> uh, I think our payment model, um, trying to blend sort of market dynamics with providing care for, for patients, um, may have led to kind of, well, here's how we're going to reimburse. And then as we chose to reimburse on a per instance basis, it drove a lot of, you know. Got to try to get a bunch of those instances. A lot of volume. <laughs> um, it also drove sort of, these are my patients, not your patients, so I'm not going to yes, necessarily exactly. share and coordinate the care. Um, and then, uh, you know, because we were paper-based, quite from, and we'll go with, back to the IT side, uh, it was difficult to share that information. And so tests got repeated and test results didn't get shared. Therefore, you know, best diagnoses didn't occur in, uh, in all instances. Um, and we're now trying to figure out a way to, to change that. And by the way, this isn't necessarily a, just a U.S. problem. Um, trying to figure out how to care for an aging population because the demographics around that are similar in many parts of the world. Um, and manage the cost of health care so it, it does not occupy an overly large percentage of the total economy and you know, burden the cost of um, manufacturing or, or delivering services um, is a problem that a lot of different governments and countries are, are trying to tackle. And, I mean, do you see your, more, your role more as a, you know, 30,000 feet above, or is it a reactive role? Or, I mean, where do you, it seems like most of what healthcare is doing now is reacting, um, as opposed to having that strategy or having that overview. And I guess the question I'm trying to ask is, like, five years from now, where do you see all of these changes and all the shifting and reacting and adjusting to Obamacare? Where do you see us in five years? Uh, I don't see us quite as fast in changing the payment model as HHS has said, only because looking at history of the, the pace of change in healthcare would tell you that it's slower to adopt things than people would hope. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure and a lot of momentum in that direction. So I see more patients being managed with a primary care physician or a, someone who's charged with coordinating their care, actively managing their care. Uh, I see good progress being made with those really high-risk patients where there's an ability to impact uh, the quality of care they get as well as impact um, their quality of life uh, being more prevalent. Um, I like the, the position we can be in in Greenway Health where we're dealing with physician practices because if you think about trying to deliver the best care in the lowest cost setting, you know, ultimately mm -hmm. that's in the home and the next stage back from that is at a physician's office sure. and far away from that is in a, uh, an expensive hospital setting. So how can we help drive more quality care out closer to the patient or all the way to the patient um, in a way that, that impacts their lives for a better quality of life but also, you know, has a benefit to our economic system as well. It's, uh, we think it's an interesting, interesting and exciting place to be. Yeah, we haven't had many people um, in sitting in your chair that have had just the diversity of the background that you have. And so that's why I'm asking you so many um, <laughs> Deep <laughs> deeper <thoughts>. questions. <laughs> that's yeah. right. We've been speaking with healthcare IT expert Mark Yanishevsky, EVP of product management for Greenway Health, uh, talking a about a variety of topics, uh, how we're implementing technologies to tackle population health management. Uh, one of the things you were talking about just a moment ago, uh, particularly for the organizations that haven't yet, there's a, still a handful out there, 10 or 15% of the physician practices are still paper, apparently. Um, sharing information, um, you know, we only have a little bit of time left, but interoperability being a subject that's come up over time, that kind of tying into that comment, 
talk about that for a moment in terms of how you tackle the interoperability problem, meaning making my EMR system share relevant information with someone else's EMR that they're utilizing so that that con continuity of care, the elimination of, of duplicity, uh, you know, type procedures or tests mm -hmm. or whatever it may be, how you tackle that? That's a great question. And, you know, we've spent the past seven, eight years rapidly trying to um, move from paper to electronic health records. And uh, I guess more or less, uh, you know, back in 2006, 2007, maybe 20, 25 percent of the physician practices here in the U.S. had an electronic health record. And now we're up to, as you said, about 75 percent. Uh, if you look at practices above five physicians, it's closer to 90 percent. Um, but now that we have all this information sitting electronically, you would think it'd be easy and easier to share. And, and so that's really the next challenge that the industry is tackling is what are some ways we can make it much more easy to share the information. There are some standards that help towards that. There's a, a standard for an electronic health summary uh, called a continuity of care document, which you alluded to, um, that you can send via secure email. It's called direct messaging, and it's a, a standard that all of the providers that were you know, attesting for meaningful use stage two last year and this year will have to be able to support, uh, and our systems all support. Um, there's being part of a larger network. Sometimes they're called health information exchanges. Sometimes they're kind of run by the, the major hospital in the area, and then all the physician practices join in. And they allow for the exchange of patients' records um, so that you can get the electronic version. It used to be that electronic health summary was, you know, literally a PDF, so you could get it and you could read it, but you couldn't see what right. was in it from right. a machine You couldn't interact with it anyway. Now they come up with, uh, you know, technology that allows you to know discreetly what are the medications, what are the problems, what are the procedures, and, and what are the um, allergies that that patient has from the other record, and you can decide if you accept them into your record, but you can also then search on them and, and use them to identify things like care gaps that we've been talking about. Um, it's not as widely adopted right now as anyone would like. Um, and then there's other issues like patient shows up at your door and says, I've been to these six other physicians. How do you go about going and querying their to see if they have a record and if you can pull their record in? You know, so there's some national initiatives that we're a part of, things like the Commonwealth Alliance and Care Equality Consortium, where we're trying to figure out things like how to build a national record locator service so that when the patient comes in, you go search for that patient and yeah. you find out where they have been and you can pull their records down. It seems like we need a uh, data lake. You know, data that, lake. The, you know, that's that's how I I told you about the the enterprise that uh, a friend of mine works for, a large global enterprise that uh, created that for themselves, so that they could begin to get very granular and really extract some power from the data that they had. It would seem that that's where we have to go, so that when CW goes to the doctor and they input data about me, that it flows into some sort of repository so that when I go to maybe an ER or maybe some other health delivery system, they're, I'm in there. And, and so that data flows back to them. Um, it would seem to me that ultimately where we'll end up having to go. Right. So I would say that there's some, there's some attempts at creating that sort of a data lake. Um, you know, the approach that we're taking in an alliance with a number of our other healthcare IT vendors, um, which is known as the Commonwealth Alliance, is not necessarily to create all the patient data in one place, but to have a, an awareness of where that patient's records are in one central location. And we call that a national record locator service. And it uses matching and algorithms to figure out if you're John Smith, are you really that John Smith? And then, then have a, a record of where have you been and which participating um, providers have your record all over the country. 
can be. Typically, it's more regional because we see and live in one area. Um, and then if you go to see a new physician and say, I have been to these other physicians and they're all members of the same participating um, technology, Commonwealth Alliance, you can then query the National Record Locator Service to say where else does this patient have records and pull that in to avoid those duplicate tests and or to get the test results back without having to, to do the test. Yeah. Now, all that has a, a need to grow from a network effect, just right. like the fax yep. machine when you got the first person got a fax machine and could do nothing with it. <laughs> yeah. And then they bought one on the, one other, on the other, end other end and yeah. then back and forth. <laughs> so, um, you know, as we go and evolve, the more these get adopted, the more they have a benefit and then the more they'll increasingly be adopted. And then you get that tipping point mm -hmm. um, where it takes off. I recently went to the doctor, actually not recently, it was last month, um, who was not using um, an EMR. And I actually asked him, how come you're not using an EMR? Which sent him into about a 25-minute diatribe <laughs> about those, you know, a lot of F-bombs were, were dropped. <laughs> um, so I can see the challenge on trying to convert those, especially the older physicians that you know, for part of it, it's political reasons may may or may not be, but otherwise it's just, why would I do this? So, I mean, with those holdouts, is there any hope for those holdouts aside from them leaving the practice? Or, I mean, how do you actually reach people like that? Legally, I would say no. Is there hope? There's always hope. Mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, the more we focus across the industry with our peer organizations on making electronic health records as easy to use as possible. Intuitive. And as, mm -hmm. as intuitive as and frictionless so that they can still engage with the patient. I mean, just for the record, he did have an iPhone, so there is, I guess. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and it probably had the latest re software release. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I can't say that. Um, some of them don't need to, right? Because they operate in a specialty that sees you one time, does what you need done, and you leave, and you're not really part of a coordinated care, you know, network, because um, it was a one-off visit or procedure. Um, but many will and do, um, and it's a little bit of one of those questions of if we're really going to focus on the patient as the center of what we're trying to make happen, then we all need to have electronic health records so we can truly share all the information about that patient and deliver the best care possible. A minute to go, what sort of collaborations do you feel like is a technology organization that you're, you're focused heavily on providing technology solutions that will foster population health management and so forth? What kind of partnership or collaboration, if any, can you think about that if we had access to this kind of a partner or you know collaboration that would make all of this move forward for us a little more quickly? You can think of anything that might you sit around the boardroom going, gosh, if we could find this or that. You know, I think the good news is that there's, at least with our industry peers, other healthcare IT vendors, there are collaborative efforts going on. Um, Care Equality has a number of members of the HIT community, as does Commonwealth Alliance. That's all about interoperability. I think there's some new things coming down the line around interoperability that'll make it easier to connect, because sometimes setting up those initial connections with some very loose standards that we have require you know individual effort every single time and that adds time and then time is money that adds cost and it leads the providers to thinking that it's just too expensive and why bother um, so there's some technologies coming along that are a little more easy to to stand up and instantly connect with tighter standards um, one of them is pronounced fire but it's spelled f-h-i-r that are being looked at that we all probably need to collaborate on to make the next wave right we've got electronic health records how do we connect them all and seamlessly exchange data and make data liquid, um, that's probably the next phase of collaboration that we need to focus on. 
Well, I didn't know if we would, but we burned up an hour with you, as we tend to do. We get into these conversations with these cool experts and uh, use up a lot of time. There's some more things we have left to talk about, so you're going to have to come back, and we'll talk more about meaningful use and some other issues that uh, that you can help the healthcare providers out there uh, tackle. Uh, GreenwayHealth.com being the website for Greenway. There's all kinds of great information out there. They're on social media, Twitter and Facebook and so forth. You can link up with them there. If you haven't done so already for our show, Make sure you go check us out on Twitter at HealthCon Radio, and uh, make sure you link up with us and the folks at Sherwick Media Group. They're always sharing some outstanding health education type information that's great for you and your family. So, uh, Mark, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule. I know you're busy. You're here on some business travel. Um, So I appreciate you sharing all this great information with us today. My pleasure, and thanks for having me. And for the folks at Greenway for uh, letting you come out and see us, and uh, Diana, thanks for being a part of the show as always. It's becoming a really good habit. That's right. So uh, out there, thanks for taking the time to uh, check us out this morning. Make sure you make an appointment to see us same time, same place next week. This show is brought to you by Sherwick Media. Sherwick is the health and wellness solution, content that inspires change. Learn more at www.sherwick.com. That's sharewik.com. And link up with us on Facebook and Twitter.